Hey guys, before we jump into the podcast, just want to give a quick shout out to a new product that I am absolutely loving right now. This is Air Tree Vitamin Spray. That's right, it's a vitamin spray. These guys are taking vitamins and nutrients and they've bottled it up into a spray that you simply spray onto your skin and you rub it in. So for Everybody who's dealing with digestive issues or you're your popping pills and you're your mixing powders and you're your dropping tinctures and you're, you know, you're walking around with pill boxes and you're going crazy taking like 30 different supplements a day, this bypasses all of that because you simply just spray this onto your skin, you rub it in, and it goes directly into your bloodstream. This is really the most effective way to absorb the nutrients that you're taking. So for listeners of the Holistic Nootropics podcast, Airtree is giving away two free bottles of their supplement. That's right, two free bottles of their spray vitamins. All you gotta do is go to holisticnootropics.com forward slash free spray and we'll send you the link to pick up two free bottles of this product. So you can choose between vitamin B12, vitamin C, vitamin D, melatonin, or hemp isolate. This is an amazing deal. All you gotta do is just pay the shipping, which is like six bucks, and these bottles go for like 35 bucks a piece normally. So again, just go on over to holisticnootropics.com forward slash free spray. Shoot us your email. We'll shoot you the link to pick up two free bottles of this stuff. And then on top of that, you get 20% off of future purchases. So one more time, head on over to holisticnootropics.com forward slash free spray. Boost your brain, boost your life. Let's get into the podcast. You're listening to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, your home for holistic, evidence-based cognitive enhancement strategies. And now your host, Eric Levi. Hey, what is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, where we discuss holistic lifestyle-based cognitive enhancement. My name is Eric. I'm a functional nutritional therapy practitioner. And today on the podcast, I have Dr. James Greenblatt. Dr. Greenblatt has been in practice for over 30 years. He currently serves as the chief medical officer at Walden Behavioral Care in Waltham, Massachusetts, and serves as an assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Tufts University School of Medicine and Dartmouth College Geisel School of Medicine. Dr. Greenblatt has lectured internationally on scientific evidence for nutritional interventions in psychiatry and mental illness. He's the author of seven books, including Finally Focus. The Breakthrough Natural Treatment Plan for ADHD, and he is the founder of Psychiatry Redefined, an educational platform dedicated to the transformation of psychiatry. And right now, I truly believe that what, what Dr. Greenblatt has to say has never been more important because there is an epidemic of people not being treated correctly for their mental health disorders. And me and Dr. Greenblatt talk a lot about these different disorders, how a lot of the um, nutritional interventions that he uses, including nutrition, supplementation, and he, of course, also prescribes medicine, but he's really looking as a functional medicine practitioner to get to the root causes of these issues. It's really a great podcast. I'm so excited for you guys to listen. Now, all of the show notes to this podcast, including the links and references to everything we discuss, can be found at holisticnootropics.com forward slash podcast. And if you are new to the podcast, 
please remember to hit the subscribe button. It's right there in your phone. It's right there in front of you. Just take a second, pow, blast it with your finger there. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please remember to go on if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review with a couple really nice lines. If you're not listening on Apple Podcasts, go to Apple Podcasts or go to whatever podcast player you're listening to and leave a nice review. And if you are new to nootropics or want to learn more about using supplements, diet, or lifestyle to hack your brain for peak performance, check out holisticnootropics.com. And with no further ado, everybody, please enjoy my chat today with Dr. James Greenblatt. Dr. Greenblatt, thank you so much for joining me today on the Holistic Nootropics Podcast. My pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yes. So I want to jump right into it here. Let me ask you this. Why is functional medicine a better option for treating ADHD than traditional allopathic medicine? I think the uh, treatment of ADHD has uh, pretty much changed over the last hundred years, every 10 or 20 years, based on um, how we describe the disorder. You know, for years we thought it was brain damage and then minimal brain damage and then hyperactivity with or without um, attention. So we keep changing the name and treatment changed, but the treatment model in traditional psychiatry has always been symptomatic-based care, right? We have medicines to contain the symptoms and a functional medicine model looks at the underlying cause. And I believe that is really the only way to treat ADHD. And when you say underlying cause, what does that mean exactly? Well, good question, because I think people throw that term out a lot without really understanding it. And um, I think the most important thing we can start with is that ADHD is, is likely a genetic disorder. It is a neurobiological disorder. The neurochemistry is different. The brain structure and genetics are different. And so we need to respect that. But there are many environmental factors that can contribute to some of the symptoms. And a functional medicine approach looks to determine as many underlying nutritional or biological factors to treat ADHD. Sometimes we find one, two, 10, sometimes we don't find anything. And I'm not opposed to medication, that symptomatic band-aid, if you will. But first, um, our approach is always looking at uh, a functional medicine model looking at the underlying cause. If there's one thing that I've learned since I've been researching ADHD, and I write a lot about ADHD, and um, I, I, I can't decide, is it a mental disorder? Is it a mental illness? How would you characterize it? You know, I, I use the frame uh, medical disorder, a neurobiological disorder, because so many of the, the kids and adults that are suffering with this disorder, these symptoms, they're not in control of their impulses sometimes, they're not able to focus their attention. So it's not a behavior problem. It's not a, you know, I don't wanna pay attention problem. It is my brain can't pay attention problem. And that's why we need to address it uh, biologically because I believe it is a neurobiological problem. Yeah, it, it feels like a thing that that there's so many aspects to it. 
and that's my personal issue with the allopathic approach, which is it, it's very like symptom drug, symptom drug, symptom drug. And the, what I like about functional medicine is it addresses these multifactorial factors that come into what causes this thing of ADHD. And, and maybe for a lot of people who address themselves as having ADHD or have been, um, have been prescribed ADHD medication or have been diagnosed with ADHD might not have the actual disorder of ADHD, rather more like symptoms like ADHD, but we're still treating everybody the same. Absolutely. I mean, I think anybody that's not paying attention, either parents or kids or doctors, you know, will just use terms like ADHD. I work with them. Patients with eating disorders that malnourished, starving, and they can't pay attention because they're malnourished. And people would give them medications and call it ADHD. So it is important that a, a diagnosis is made um, so we understand how to treat. So do you find diet, because you're mentioning, you know, children who are malnourished, um, and I find in the nutrition world that it's, what, what is it, uh, overfed and starving to death, where it's not a matter of they're not eating enough calories, it's just the calories they're eating are devoid of a lot of nutrition. Are, do you see a lot of that in your uh, practice? Every day for the past 35 years, yes, absolutely. That's kind of the driving um, kind of path that, that we took many years ago. I've been talking about this for 30 years and, you know, I wrote the book about three or four years ago because there was now research to support it. Um, so we now have research that there are, you know, profound nutritional deficiencies associated with um, ADHD. And your book you're mentioning that's, is that finally focused? Yes. Yeah. The finally focused book kind of outlines a, a plan to kind of help parents kind of understand what some of these nutritional deficiencies might be. And, and how they could correct them. So it almost seems in the diet of children, because when you go to the grocery store, my, my thing, because I work with people for nutritional um, issues, and my number one recommendation to people is avoid the middle of the grocery store, because that's where all of the diseases, that's where all of the diabetes is, that's where all the problems are. And I would imagine that a lot of those foods, you know, I'm talking about like the box foods, the, the highly preserved foods, the grains, the breads, the cereals, the high sugar, the soda. Um, do you think a lot of that it's, it's, it's these almost like anti-nutrients in those foods that, you know, they, they, it's not that they're just devoid of nutrition, but they actually have these chemicals or these preservatives or whatever you want to call them in them that actually literally suck your life force out of you. You know, for uh, absolutely for some individuals, the, the sugar and the amount of sugar is directly correlated with the incidence of hyperactivity. When I started in practice, there was one study that the pediatric community did that said sugar didn't cause hyperactivity. So for 20 years, that's what, you know, the, the medical community, but now we have gr very good research looking at the amount of, you know, these sugar sweetened beverages um, associated with increased rates of hyperactivity. So you have the sugar sweetened beverages and, and the mechanism is not only the, the refined sugar, robbing B vitamins, but a lot of these sodas have, have phosphoric acid. So high phosphorus depletes the body of magnesium. 
And one of the most common nutritional deficiencies we see in uh, ADHD is magnesium deficiency. And you work a lot with minerals. Is that right? I, I read that you, you do um, hair mineral tests. Can you talk a little bit about how that helps you treat people with ADHD and, and any other uh, mental disorder? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, take it one step back. It's really important in a, a functional medicine approach that uh, we do as much testing as we can because we, we can't guess. We don't know uh, who's deficient in some of these nutrients and minerals. So we, we look at vitamin and mineral deficiencies. We look at the gut. We look at amino acids and fatty acids. But, you know, one of the tests that is under $100 that we found particularly helpful is looking at um, – trace minerals in the hair. And there we can look at minerals like uh, magnesium, uh, look at copper and zinc, and also the, the mineral lithium we can detect in hair samples. So when you see a deficiency in one of these minerals, be it um, magnesium or deficiency in zinc or deficiency in lithium, um, you know, I, I understand that minerals, they all work in ratios and they work in balances. So for you, is it is it a matter of sometimes just supplementing with those minerals to and then kind of seeing what happens and then you know seeing and then adjusting from there or is it a little bit more complicated? Uh, it's a little more complicated, but actually supplementation is, is the key. Uh, the question that um, we have to ask is is what else might be going on? So sometimes my colleagues who are learning about functional medicine, they might learn about one test. And then every patient gets treated based on the results of the one pace. Let's say it's this hair mineral analysis and they see low magnesium, but there might be other uh, problems going on. There might be a dysbiosis or a gut problem. There might be a food allergy. So the, the more testing that we can do, the more confident and optimistic I can share with a parent or a patient that we can help them with this functional medicine approach. But Yes, if there are deficiencies in magnesium or elevations of copper um, on a hair test or deficiencies of lithium, then supplementation would be part of a treatment model. Uh, uh, it's interesting you, you touch on the gut health issue because I've, I'm very fascinated with how the gut works in relation to the brain, especially considering the amount of neurotransmitters that are made in uh, in the gut. And I've explored this, this, uh, this idea of psychobiotics where, you know, uh, this branch of science where they're discovering ways to actually treat mental disorders and treat the brain through the gut. So, you know, using probiotics and using enzymes and these sorts of things. Is, is that something that you use in your practice as well? Absolutely. Again, not every HD child or adult would have a problem in the gut that's contributing to their symptoms but there are some, um, and, and we can test for it, and we can look for it, and we can treat it. Um, the, a common one, we used to see a lot more common when um, every child was given three or four rounds of antibiotics every year um, for ear infections would be uh, yeast and candida overgrowth due to the multiple antibiotics these kids were having when they were young. Uh, but we're also seeing uh, gut problems with um, dysbiosis overgrowth of certain forms of clostridia uh, producing these uh, chemicals that, that affect brain function. And we can actually detect it in the urine. And by treating these 
kind of abnormal uh, biomarkers, we can treat the ADHD. Yeah, the clostridia is is real fascinating. I was having a conversation with um, Dr. Kurt Wohler, who works with the um, the Great Plains people and does the organic acids testing, and he was talking about the clostridium affecting the dopamine beta hydroxylase enzyme, which essentially is what turns your dopamine in, into uh, norepinephrine, and yeah. this contributing to a lot of mental disorders. And it's so interesting when you start putting in that 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 second layer of well somebody goes in uh you know be it for depression or anxiety or whatever it is and then they're given an antidepressant when in fact their problem may be uh overgrowth of this bacteria correct yeah it's it's common um and it's it's treatable you know sometimes we would use high dose probiotics and sometimes we would need an antibiotic to treat this elevation of this um chemical from clostridia. But either way, when we see that it's elevated in this organic acid test, I know that's contributing to this child or this adult symptoms. You can't feel well when you have this kind of buildup of dopamine. And um, when we treat it, patients feel better. Yeah. It always comes back because I've had so many conversations with, um, you know, with a lot of doctors and practitioners, and it seems to always come back to antibiotics because so many kids are treated with antibiotics. I mean, adults too. It's, it's almost like antibiotics are this thing. And, and I see it in this time of COVID, especially too, where it's like this antibacteria, you know, industrial complex we have where it's, you walk into a place, you slather yourself with hand sanitizer. You, you, you feel a little sick, you pop an antibiotic. And I just don't think that people understand the downstream effects that these have perfect example, you know, a family member of mine took antibiotics and then, you know, three weeks later had SIBO. And I've heard so many stories very similar to that. And that just creates a whole new cascade of problems. Yeah. We see it all the time in these young kids um, or these kids that got antibiotics when they were, you know, under six and then they don't develop symptoms where they seek treatment until they're 12 or 13. And people forget to ask what was their course of antibiotics when they were younger. Yeah, it, it, we it, and it's easy to forget. You know, it, it's it's very difficult to put two and two together when you when you if you deal with something like skin issues. I mean, there's so many things tied to the gut, like skin issues or health, mental health issues or whatever it is. When you do an, when you start to investigate a little bit, and then you look back and you go, "Oh my God!" Like because when I was a kid, it was antibiotics almost every couple months. And I mean, for a couple of years, cause I had this tonsil issue. It wasn't until I finally got my tonsils taken out that the whole issue kind of went away, but I can't imagine the damage that did that I'm still dealing with these problems. Yeah, the chronic use um, for multiple infections really are not taken into consideration around uh, mental health issues. But as, as you described, there are more uh, serotonin receptors in the gut than there is in the brain. And we know that the, our thoughts affect the gut and our gut affects the brain. Um, the science, you know, is in its infancy in, in some ways in terms of the clinical implications. There's one marker of clostridia and the yeast are two examples that we know we can treat and we understand. Uh, but we all also have all this research about probiotics helping a, a wide range of psychiatric illnesses, even though we don't always understand the mechanism. And so you're, you're seeing uh, candida in a lot of children then who come in with ADHD symptoms? Absolutely. I, I would say 
when I started 30 years ago, it was every single day. I'd say over the last 10 years, it's less. Um, but we see it all the time. Uh, just because, you know, in my career, the use of antibiotics have decreased um, for kids with ear infections. But uh, we see it in, in kids and we see it in adults. Absolutely. And are you and do you see more adults nowadays with ADHD uh, or complaining of ADHD symptoms? I think one of the good things that the pharmaceutical industry has done is because of um, the funding of research, it has made people more aware that ADHD doesn't disappear when you're 13 or 15, that the symptoms might change. You might not be squirming in your chair and being as uh, hyper or impulsive, but ADHD in adulthood is a, is a serious illness and the, the consequences of untreated um, the research we have is uh, pretty dramatic, higher incidence of car accidents, uh, divorce, financial troubles, job insecurity, uh, prison, aggression, crimes, traffic tickets. I mean, the list is quite long. Um, and probably the most powerful one is depression and low self-esteem. So an adult with ADHD, particularly undiagnosed adult with ADHD, is really struggling, not really working up to their potential because they're usually quite bright, but following through is challenging and untreated. It becomes a real, very uh, tormenting source of low self-esteem. From what I understand, ADHD is a, it's a matter of dopamine, right? Like it's uh, it's a, because that's what the Medicaid or the, the, the mainstream medications treat is, uh, you know, the stimulants, the, um, the amphetamines, they're, they're all for increasing dopamine and all of the things you just listed, you know, divorce, car accidents, um, jail, to me, that almost comes from a lack of dopamine, you know, a divorce, like your marriage is never good enough jail engaging in risky behavior, maybe because you need some kind of rush, some kind of excitement. Um, and it's almost amazing to feel the opposite side of that when, you know, you do have enough dopamine and you don't feel the need to, to, to be addicted to something or to engage in risky behavior or to just be content with, you know, where you are, you're not physically looking around for alternatives. Yeah, that, and that's a, a very nice kind of example of why I use the term a neurobiological illness, um, that um, kind of search for dopamine, if you will, is, is genetically driven. It's part of the neurochemistry, and we can treat that. We can treat it with medicines as a Band-Aid, or we can treat it nutritionally, um, or we could find out what might be contributing to that. So you're right, the medications are these Band-Aids that kind of enhance dopamine and, and norepinephrine. Um, and we also can do that with nutraceuticals and, and um, uh, amino acid precursors and vitamins and minerals. When somebody comes into your office, um, you know, I, I, I know that something like Adderall is very prevalent, especially amongst adults. I know it's especially prevalent uh, amongst students, you know, in college and um, maybe even graduate school or high school. Um, do you find that people, they want to stop using Adderall and are looking for alternatives? How, how do you deal with that as a practitioner? You know, I think I, uh, I have a slide with um, a doctor kind of screaming and parents um, 
you know, yelling at one side meds and the other side, no meds. And it really is challenging because many of our patients and our parents are looking for that quick fix and a medicine might be able to help someone focus and pay attention, you know, in five days, but it's a Band-Aid. And um, so I'm not opposed to medicine, but certainly for my practice over the past 10 or 20 years, people that I would see, we would be looking for a functional medicine uh, approach, looking for an underlying cause. Um, Medications would be three or four months down the road, and that would be for young kids that are really struggling in school. And, and that school um, kind of performance is affecting their life and their self-esteem. At first, we want to kind of understand the nutritional deficiencies, understand if there are any other gut um, problems, allergies, or, or other toxins before we would use medicine. And you were, you know, you'd mentioned nutraceuticals, you've mentioned magnesium and zinc. Um, Are there any other, you know, uh, supplements or nootropics or vitamins or minerals that you particularly, and I know everybody's different, so you can't obviously give, and I'm not asking for medical advice, but um, kind of like more as a broad term question, uh, you know, what other of these supplements have you seen work for something like ADHD? Sure. I mean, there's, there's a lot. And, and again, uh, the personalized approach is the most helpful. I, I start the book off with magnesium because I think that is the one supplement that I've found over 90% on testing our kids with ADHD and our adults are deficient in. So magnesium being number one and, and zinc because there's a, a very common uh, high copper in our kids with ADHD. The, the mineral lithium, we use low-dose lithium, one milligram, two milligram, and this is particularly good for irritable or impulsive uh, kids or adults. Some of the uh, road rage, some of the um, uh, individuals that kind of can't stop themselves from getting into fights, either verbal or physical. Uh, the one um, kind of nutraceutical, it's not a vitamin or mineral that we've been using for many years, is um, called OPCs, oligoproanocyanidins is the, uh, the big term. It's, a, it's the, the colors in, in grapes and blueberries and chocolate and green tea. Mm. So it's these flavanols that we've shown in, in some research early on in the 90s and lots of research that's been written about can really um, help improve attention. So grapeseed extract, pine bark, uh, blueberries uh, are all kind of forms of this um, flavanol phytochemical called OPCs. Oh, wow. I've never, I, those things you named off, I know those, but I've never heard them referred to as OPCs. That's very interesting. Yeah. These were um, discovered years ago. They kind of work with vitamin C um, and uh, they kind of strengthen, uh, they do hundreds of things in the body. They're powerful antioxidants and, um, as individual nutrients, you know, they've gotten a little uh, research, the green tea and the pine bark and the blueberries. And we've just found um, combinations of those um, OPCs to have the most dramatic effect on uh, sustained attention and ADHD symptoms. And you had mentioned lithium. Are you referring to lithium as in prescription lithium or is that like lithium orotate that's over the counter? Yeah, for most of the ADHD uh, individuals, we're talking about lithium orotate, 
um, you know, low dosages, one or two milligrams, sometimes titrating up to five milligrams. And this um, most helpful for, again, these irritable, angry, impulsive kids. We've had the kids that are kicked out of preschool, kicked out of private schools, um, just because of they can't control their behavior. When you meet with them, they're remorseful um, and they are quite articulate about not uh, having the ability to stop some of these behaviors. And, you know, on, on low dose lithium, oftentimes it's pretty dramatic. Within a couple of weeks, they're feeling better. I'm curious, I, I, I wasn't planning on asking you this, but um, I'm, it just struck me as you were talking, do you ever see mold as an issue for, for anybody with ADHD? You know, we see mold as an issue for every other disorder on the planet. And um, I think that um, for adults with ADHD, certainly for adults who did not struggle as children, but are now struggling with attention problems, um, that's where I've seen mold, more of a, um, a treatment problem. I think for kids, it has not been as common as it has been in adults. So certainly the candida overgrowth we talked about, but the general um, kind of mold toxicity uh, where we can test for these mycotoxins, I've seen um, less of a problem in children as I have with adults. Not that it doesn't exist, it's just less... Sure. And, and you were saying that, that ADHD is a, a genetic disorder. Are there specific genes, if, if you run a genetic test, that you're, that you're looking for or that you're um, specifically that contribute to this? Um, there's no genes that we know of would cause or contribute to ADHD. There's probably many genes um, you know, that, that, that affect dopamine metabolism, dopamine receptors, so there's, um, you know, one gene, uh, this COMPT gene who, that helps break down dopamine and some individuals break down dopamine very quickly. And, and those individuals uh, often, uh, the research shows that they respond to uh, stimulant medications, um, but they also respond to nutraceuticals that help support dopamine, like um, amino acid precursors like tyrosine. Right, right. And again, then that goes back to, is your dopamine beta hydroxylase enzyme working properly? Because I know tyrosine, you can run into problems with something like tyrosine, um, building up too much dopamine if you're not able to convert dopamine to norepinephrine. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, you had mentioned copper toxicity and, you know, I'm someone who runs the, uh, the hair mineral test and I, and I, have really just fallen in love with, with trying to understand how copper interacts in the body. Cause it's, it's like a Goldilocks miracle. You know, I know you were talking about copper deficiency. I think you were saying copper deficiency, but I've also seen it where there's issues with copper toxicity and you can have two, or maybe you were saying copper toxicity, one of the two. Uh, I know there's issues on both sides of that, where you can have too little copper, too much copper, but it's, it's gotta be in the right ratio, especially when it comes to something like uh, zinc, and it sounds like, especially for ADHD. Yeah, one of the most common um, reasons that we see kids um, uh, in our practice um, who were sent to us because they didn't respond to medications, and individuals with high copper typically get um, have side effects to the stimulants because they get more irritable and angry because of a 
likely too much dopamine. So high copper is, is common. It's common in kids with the food allergies and irritability and aggression. And, and we treat it um, with zinc. And uh, if you remember the Flint, Michi Michigan crisis with lead in the water, well, after that, a um, number of other states and, and where I'm from, Massachusetts, they started testing the water uh, in the elementary schools. And in Massachusetts, not only did they test for lead, but they tested for copper. And what they were able to find, not that anybody did anything or got any press, but they did find high lead in a large percentage of these schools. Um, but it was also high copper in the water fountains of the elementary schools above normal range in toxic ranges. And that's just what we see all the time. And copper pipes, um, there's a lot of copper in the environment and it affects behavior in very profound ways. Can't always determine without testing. So the testing is important. Are there any foods um, or, or um, yeah, like any foods or, or any other places other than water that you would see um, copper toxicity come from? Uh, I, I think it would be hard. I mean, we sometimes have birth control pills. Um, there are lots of other kind of things that uh, can create a zinc deficiency and that can cause copper to creep up. It's like a seesaw with zinc and copper. Uh, but I don't think there are any foods that are so high in copper that someone should be avoiding them. Yeah. And, and I see copper in a lot of supplements as well. You know, like you can get a multi, uh, vitamin or, um, you know, there's a lot of these mineral compounds that have copper. Do you see that also as a problem? Do you want to look for, if you're going to take supplements, supplements specifically, they don't have copper, or is there a difference with the copper you get there versus the copper you might get from water or. No. And, and that's why a lot of people take this kind of shotgun approach, give these kids, you know, 12 or 15 supplements of everything. Um, and some of the, some of the times the high copper is the problem because a child has high copper and you shouldn't be giving them copper and a multivitamin. So that's why for me, the testing is the most accurate way of kind of personalizing a nutritional approach. Some individuals uh, could take copper uh, other individuals, it would um, make it very hard to recover and get better. Hey, everybody, just want to take a second to break away from the podcast to tell you about my favorite pre-formulated nootropic stack. That is MindLab Pro. I... I look at MindLab Pro kind of like a, a nootropic multivitamin. If you're a, a nootropic newbie, this is a great nootropic stack to start with. Even if you're an experienced nootropic user, maybe you've been putting together your own kind of different stacks using different nootropics together, and maybe you've hit a plateau, maybe you just haven't found the, the one that works right for you. Maybe you found something that worked right, and then you try to pair it with something else, and, and the whole thing kind of fell apart, and then that original nootropic doesn't work for you. MindLab Pro is pre-formulated. It's made by scientists, so they actually pre-formulate it with the right amounts, the right ingredients, 11 research-backed nootropic ingredients, by the way, that are proven to help boost your cognition, your memory, your focus, your mood, all those benefits you look for out of a nootropic, especially a nootropic stack, you're gonna get with MindLab Pro. You've got citicoline, which is gonna boost your acetylcholine production. It's gonna boost dopamine. It's gonna boost your focus. It's gonna boost your memory, your process. 
processing speed. You've got phosphatidylserine, which is going to help you with nerve growth factor. It's got glucose metabolism enhancement. You've got the modulation of the HPA axis. It's going to help your energy levels. It's going to help your mood. It's going to help your stress levels, which is so important. You've got Bacopa monnieri. You've got rhodiola, an amazing adaptogenic herb. You got one of the most popular nootropic or holistic nootropics out there, lion's mane mushroom. You're getting that nerve growth factor, literally growing new brain, promotes healthy brain cell function. So many amazing benefits from lion's mane. You've also got things like maritime pine bark extract, and of course, N-acetyl-L-tyrosine, which is going to help boost dopamine levels, and of course, norepinephrine levels. So if you need a boost in mood, if you're dealing with some depression, if you just need to be a little bit more lively, let's say you're, you're, you're kind of falling apart, going out in social situations, assuming you're, you're breaking your social distancing, you're going out, you need a little N-acetyl-L-tyrosine, and then of course, one of the classic great nootropics, L-theanine, hit that alpha brainwave, get into flow. If you're trying to pair something with coffee to take the edge off a little bit, or if you're just getting rid of caffeine in general, L-theanine is a great nootropic amino acid. And then you have the cofactors, the B vitamins to help really put everything together, B6, B9, B12, you know, it's like you can have all these amazing nootropics together, but if you don't turn on the fire, if you don't stir the pot, that's what the B vitamins do. They help get everything together so that it's metabolized, it hits your brain, it works the way it's supposed to do. Right now, we have a deal with MindLab Pro directly through holisticnootropics.com. You get three months of MindLab Pro with an extra fourth month for free. Just go on over to holisticnootropics.com forward slash MindLab Pro. Again, holisticnootropics.com forward slash MindLab Pro. Get one free month of MindLab Pro with the purchase of three. You can't beat this deal. The nootropic multivitamin MindLab Pro, my favorite. Okay, let's get back into the podcast. And you've written a lot about disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, which is a new thing. I never heard of that before, but apparently that that plays with ADHD. Can, can you talk a little bit about what that is? Sure. I mean, I never heard of it either when I went through child psychiatry because they just made it up in, uh, I guess, 2013 um, because there were a lot of um, very aggressive, impulsive kids that were being diagnosed bipolar disorder which means if you're diagnosed bipolar at seven, the only tools we have would be high-dose medications of anti, uh, antipsychotics or mood stabilizers. So when they kind of were updating the, the DSM, which is a psychiatric kind of diagnostic manual, they decided that uh, to add this new category, you know, DMDD, uh, dysphoric mood disruptive disorder. So this category is based on this concept of kids that are irritable, um, that are kids that are oppositional and impulsive. So it's different than ADHD. Um, and, you know, we have no real model or mechanism for treatment. But these were the kids that were coming into our office. And that's where we found um, just what we've been talking about, that uh, the vast majority of these kids have either high copper or low lithium or both. And, and we've seen these disorders completely um, turn around and, and resolve with these low doses of lithium and or decreasing the copper if that is one of the sources of the problem. That's interesting because, you know, when I think of ADHD, for some reason, I never think of the HD part. I always think of the AD part. 
because when I was growing up, it was just ADD. There was no ADHD. I feel like ADHD was a thing that came around, I don't know, maybe 20, 25 years ago. And I can always remember my mom saying, cause I, I, I had attention problems, you know, and I was hyperactive, but I was never AD. I never, I never put the two together. So, and it feels like as an adult, you know, I have this natural tendency to, to have a hard time focusing, but I feel almost that's more of, you know, being a victim of the environment, like getting sucked into the internet or one of the millions of distracting things, be it what's, you know, entertainment or just like bright lights all around me. <laughs> you know, there's just so many things to like look at and, and be amazed by like as a human, you know, but when I hear about the, um, the behavioral issues, I, I almost feel like that's just a completely separate thing from the attention issue. For many individuals, um, the attentional issues are the, the prime symptoms. For others, it's the hyperactivity impulsiveness. One of the, I think the tragedies when I started um, in training is a lot of women, uh, young girls were not diagnosed because they uh, were, uh, primarily inattentive. They weren't as hyperactive as the, the boys. Um, so they were and misdiagnosed and not uh, treated till they were later in high school where they really started struggling. Um, so yes, some individuals are kind of focused on inattentive and some have more of the hyperactive impulsive. You don't necessarily have to have all the symptoms uh, that impair all aspects of your life. Yeah. It, it, it's just, it's just so wild that, you know, it gets, it gets categorized. And I understand there there's kids who deal with this. When you see an adult dealing with something like ADHD and typically, you know, are they so far down the line that they've, um, you know, they've experienced some kind of, you know, massive life event, be it a divorce, they've gone to jail, whatever it is. Do you see a lot? Do you see people who have been diagnosed with ADHD who are just kind of holding down normal lives and and they're getting through, but it but it's almost like a struggle to them. Uh, yeah, I think the word is it's um, it's a constant struggle to to kind of work up to their potential is is kind of the way I would phrase it. I think um, getting by um, sometimes it's choosing the right spouse or the right secretary, or the right partner at work because there are things that you do well, and for many ADHD individuals, it's the energy, it's the passion, it's the creativity, but it's not the structure and organization. Um, so if you find the right job or the right partner, then, then life is okay. But if you're stuck in a academic situation that you don't like or other work environments where those symptoms really um, impair this aspect of your life, it's a, just a powerful assault on your self-esteem and your ability to kind of feel good about yourself. And that, you know, is a setup for depression. Yeah. It, it almost seems like it's, you know, you become a victim of, and I hate to use the word victim, but um, of circumstance, right? Like, you know, there's a lot of people who they did their whole lives what they thought they were supposed to do. You know, they, they went to school, they went to college, they got a degree, but their college degree plunged them into all of the student debt. And now they're in all the student debt. And so they got to get a job that they hate so they can slowly pay off their student debt and have insurance and their insurance rates go through the roof. And if you have maybe something that happens um, and then maybe you don't have insurance, now you're just 
in this continuous rut of having to do things you don't want to do because you've literally fallen behind the eight ball. And then maybe that leads to some more of this depression, anxiety, ADHD versus it being an actual medical issue that you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, relationships are probably uh, the hardest uh, for many of our adults with ADHD because, you know, they're terms like, you know, lazy and uh, just uh, providing um, without that structure, kind of irritating spouses and friends, and people just assume you're doing it on purpose or you don't care, and not really being able to respect the neurobiology of that disorder. Relationships really struggle, and couples therapy uh, for ADHD adults can sometimes be the most powerful medicine that I've seen work. Yeah. Do you see any benefits in, and that's not a great question, but um, do you recommend any like lifestyle modifications or lifestyle things to try? Maybe like meditation, yoga, exercise, even like joining social groups of some sort or, or traveling, you know, um, do, do you see things like that helping without having to use, you know, someone who wants to stay away from medication or maybe they don't want to take a whole bunch of supplements? Absolutely. All of the above. I mean, we know exercise is incredible um, medicine for depression and ADHD. Um, even some of the uh, uh, martial arts, we've seen great results. And, and mindfulness. We have research looking at mindfulness practices in both kids and adults with ADHD that help them focus and pay attention. We have research showing that um, time in nature enhances attention. So we do have all these kind of lifestyle um, mindfulness programs that do help those with uh, ADHD. Absolutely. Do you do you have any research, or have you done any um, you know researched at all the 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 impact of sleep on ADHD specifically? Like maybe not just sleep, but like sleep quality or, or, or tracking sleep of some uh, in some way. A absolutely, it's chapter in the book, and it's really important. ADHD individuals. A struggle with sleep, and the more impaired the sleep is, the more disturbed the behavior is. That's some of the deficiencies that we see, like magnesium is um, usually uh, one of the factors of why sleep is so difficult. And it's one of the reasons why I share with both parents and adults that restoring sleep um, has to be a priority because many of the symptoms aren't going to improve without figuring out the sleep issues. These kids, um, very quickly get out of uh, a sleep phase, uh, normal sleep phase cycle, so they can start staying up at one, two in the morning, and then they not getting enough sleep. It's a very important part of the treatment model. Yeah, and then you throw in, you know, the phone and the video game and all the screen time, and it just probably throws off the whole diurnal pattern and circadian rhythm. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. How do you see the, um, the, the HPA axis? So like the, the stress response in, in ADHD, um, you know, uh, with cortisol and, and these stress hormones playing into, uh, into ADHD. Well, you know, it's, um, it hasn't been studied enough as it probably should have been, you know, we know, um, there was an early study on, um, blood sugar levels and um, not kids 
we're not able to, cortisol helps regulate your blood sugar. And um, individuals with ADHD were not able to uh, regulate the blood sugar. So as, as, they, as they ate carbohydrates and blood sugar went lower, they got irritable and aggressive and more impulsive. And they were able to kind of monitor that. I think um, low frustration tolerance and stress, um, inability to kind of tolerate stress clearly has to be you know, related to the, our ability to modulate stress through that HPA axis. Yeah, and I'm sure the magnesium helps too, because magnesium is really good for uh, for relaxing and the um, adrenal gland. So, yeah, a lot of the deficiencies we see are going to directly affect things like uh, adrenal function. Do you see any benefits to to something like sodium or, or, or sodium bicarbonate or anything like that? Um, not typically. Sometimes kids that are prone to food allergy, and the old days we used to use. Um, sodium bicarb, but typically um, not routinely recommending sodium. And do, do you see food allergies playing into a lot of the of these issues you see, maybe even for adults? Because I know sometimes for kids, the food allergies, you know, I, I know there's like the stereotypical kid with the peanut allergies and, and now everyone's got a, everyone's allergic to gluten, which makes sense. But adults I find are dealing with a lot of the, it almost seems like the food allergy reaction is more severe in a lot of adults who have just, it's been an underlying thing. And now that you start hitting your late twenties, your thirties, even into your early forties, some of these food allergies, they start to present themselves, not just as gut distress, which could affect ADHD, but also in the mind too, and, and, and create some brain fog and, and uh, ADHD type symptoms. Sure. There, there are a couple uh, concerns around food. Um, one is, you know, the the uh, kind of allergies that we're seeing from peanuts and the anaphylactic reactions. Those are called, um, you know, immediate hypersensitivity IgE allergies. The the allergic responses that we're seeing that are probably related to behavior are called delayed hypersensitivity, and those are IgG mediated allergies. So they're different, but we can test for them and we can look at those. And then there's a subset of individuals that really don't tolerate dairy um, or gluten, not because of an allergy, but because they don't break down the protein, the, the casein and the gliadin uh, completely. And these uh, breakdown products are, they're called exorphins, these morphine analogs that can cause brain fog and, and uh, inattention and irritability. And that's the overconsumption of dairy and wheat. And it's, it's very common and it's not an allergy. Right, it's, it, what, what would you call it? Uh, not a sensitivity, it's just a reaction to the, to the protein. Yeah, and it's a deficiency or a, a lack of efficacy of an enzyme called DPP4. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a zinc-dependent enzyme that breaks down these proteins. So we can give patients um, supplements of this DPP4. And oftentimes, these are individuals that have um, the high copper and are deficient in zinc. So we're giving them the enzyme. We're giving them zinc. We're asking them to stay away from dairy and wheat for a brief period of time. And sometimes these symptoms can resolve, you know, in a few months. 
Yeah, I find, I mean, it just seems like such a good practice anyways to stay away from, especially wheat, you know, as, along with the, with the gluten and then the, you know, the wheat proteins, but then you also get the high glycemic response, which, you know, triggers the cortisol and, and, uh, you know, brings a whole new cascade of issues. Yes. It, it's, um, kind of an endless cycle and it's really important to tease apart, you know, what, what are the priorities? And I think parents struggle sometimes when they hear information like this or read about it, they, they try to do everything. And I think it's really important that there's kind of a systematic approach of how to treat a child or an adult with ADHD um, without medicines. Do you ever work with anybody or, or, or have you done your own kind of research maybe within your practice or outside of your practice with like the ketogenic diet or, or any kind of more rigid dietary practice? But I think it's very clear. Um, and uh, a woman, um, who I remember a meeting in the 1990s, she sent me her PhD thesis on uh, uh, glucose tolerance curves in, you know, like 100 ADHD kids, um, and they were all abnormal. So I think most of us who've been seeing these kids and many parents, um, these kids do not tolerate carbohydrates well, and um, a high protein, or if we wanted to use the word ketogenic diet, I think would be helpful for 90% of these kids. No research to support it, but that's just my clinical opinion. What I have seen is as we um, decrease carbs and sugars, behavior does improve. Yeah, and the protein also gives you the amino acids, which are the precursors to the neurotransmitters, so that probably helps too. Absolutely, yes. Um, just a couple more questions, because uh, I just thought of amino acids. Are there any, I know amino acid therapy can help for like specific amino acid therapy recipes can help for certain things like addictions and, and depression and anxiety. Are there any amino acids that you have used for something like ADHD specifically? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's the same model. These, um, these amino acid precursors, um, like tyrosine, phenylalanine, and they go on to make dopamine and norepinephrine in the brain. So if we're trying to support dopamine without medication, we do use these amino acid precursors uh, for some phenylalanine, for some tyrosine with the cofactors, vitamin B6 and zinc. So we, we absolutely use the amino acid precursors to help support the synthesis of these neurotransmitters. That's really cool. Well, Dr. Greenblatt, this has been uh, very informational. I, I really appreciate your time. I've, I've learned a lot. I, before we jumped on the call here, I, I read your two free books on your website about um, the copper toxicity and the uh -huh. uh, lithium. So it was interesting to hear you talk a lot about those two things, especially. And it seems, I don't want to see, say, make it sound easy, but it, it, it seems like the way you explain these complicated issues, it, it, it's almost empowering in a way to know that, you know, when somebody feels like they don't have control with something like ADHD, that there are these more simple steps you can take to at least start to, to trend in the right direction. Yes. I mean, I'm a very hopeful and optimistic um, when I when I see new patients and if we can do the testing and try to individualize a treatment plan, we often find something. doesn't mean medicine and other therapies aren't needed, uh, family therapy, parental therapy, behavioral therapy. But if we can get to some of these biological causes, we can just make life much easier for those that are struggling with ADHD. 
That's very true. Um, before we sign off, is there anywhere that you can send uh, our listeners or viewers to learn more about you, learn more about your programs? If somebody wants to work with you, where's the best place for somebody to go online or otherwise? Yeah, um, you know, our educational program is uh, psychiatryredefined.org. And, and there we have uh, courses on ADHD and, and fellowships on ADHD, as well as uh, many other um, programs for kind of helping uh, both uh, patients and clinicians understand this functional medicine model for mental health and mental illness. Great. We'll uh, link to all that after we put out the podcast in the show notes, and you'll be able to catch those on holisticnotropics.com. Dr. Greenblatt, thank you so much for joining me today. Stay warm up there in Boston, and uh, and hopefully we can do a round two sometime. I appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. Keep Absolutely. Up Thank you so much. And for you, listener and viewer, thank you so much for tuning in. For more on Dr. Greenblatt, be sure to check out the Holistic Nootropic show notes for links to everything we talked about today. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. Thanks for listening. For more brain-boosting info, in-depth articles, and show notes, check out holisticnootropics.com. 